Hey there, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome back to the show. This is Conversations with the Mind. Buckle yourself in. It's time to go. And before we get started, make sure you check out all of our social media stuff. Go to our Mind Ops YouTube page, our Mind Ops website, and go check out Conversations with the Mind video all over the YouTube. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S. And for the website, it's the same. M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. And just so you all know, um, you know, during this uh, COVID uh, health scare, uh, we here at MindOps, uh, we do counseling for all sorts of things. And we're opening up our our doors, not literally, but uh, we've actually switched to telehealth, so we do all of our sessions through uh, the computer. Um, not as ideal, but still uh, makes us more available. So, uh, holding sessions now at discounted rates. Um, really, we just want to make sure that everybody's mental health is taken care of. Uh, so, we lowered our rates during this thing so that we can try and encourage more and more people to. Um, take care of themselves and, uh, to f you know, find their way out of feeling stuck or, or, uh, having cabin fever or something. So come check us out and, uh, yeah, let's get into some Arturo complex music to brighten your day.
Okay, today's good news story comes from the goodnewsnetwork.org. And the name of the article reads, uh, Magnetic Brain Treatment Found to Relieve Depression in 90% of Participants with No Negative Side Effects. Uh, this is really cool. You know, I've heard of magnetic brain stimulation and things like that for all sorts of different treatments. And, um, you know, it's, it's found to be pretty effective. But this new form of uh, brain stimulation was seen to be way more effective than than the other magnetic stuff that's out there. Uh, and they've done double-blind trials, things like that. So this is, uh, the treatment is called Stanford Accelerated Intelligent Neuromodulation Therapy, or for short, it's called SAINT. Uh, it says it's a form of transcranial magnetic stimulation approved by the FDA for the treatment of depression. Um, let's see... The only side effects were fatigue and some discomfort, so that's good. Um, and this this stuff is uh, just now getting published uh, this month, April, so pretty cool. Um, let's see, there was a couple more points in here. Okay, so how does it work? Electric currents from a magnetic coil placed on the scalp excite a region of the brain implicated in depression. Uh, like I said, it's approved by the FDA, requires six weeks of once-daily sessions. Um, and it says that only about half the patients who undergo this treatment improve, and only about a third experience remission from depression. So um, although those numbers don't sound that good, that's pretty standard for most depression uh, treatments, whether it be talk therapy or medication therapy. Um, this falls into the same uh, statistical range, I guess, as far as effectiveness. So... It's important that people, you know, try out a number of different things. For me personally, uh, talk therapy um, and psychedelic-assisted therapy have been my major tools to explore and um, sort of fix the things that I think need fixed on the inside. And uh, But for other people, it's other things. Um, I've gone through the medication treatments. Uh, I consider myself a psychiatric survivor. Um, those things messed me up, man, uh, especially when I came off of them. And, um, so yeah, I, I just love hearing about, um, new techniques, new technologies. I'm all for it. Keep searching, keep researching this stuff. And hopefully, um, maybe one day we'll have these cool little magnetic stimulation, um, machines for our home or something we can put on our mind or on our brain, um, through our skull to be able to, to look into that. Um, okay, so what's been on my mind lately? First and foremost, uh, what's been on my mind is you guys. I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to get this podcast out. Um, you guys have literally um, been on my mind every single day. And it's been extremely difficult for all of us during this time. A uh, number of, you know, we've lost a number of people close to us, uh, family and friends, uh, extended, you know, second families, things like that. And amidst all this, um, you know, my wife and I are still students, so we're online and we're both working from home too. And, <clears throat> you know, the work continues and it's actually uh, a lot harder to do the stuff we need to do here at the house because there's so much other stuff that we could be doing here at the house. So we've, we've started putting together our victory garden and uh, done a lot of lawn work and all that stuff is part of self-care and is made us feel really grounded and good and and uh, close to each other which is fantastic plus we get to spend time down at the dogs level uh, with them and 
and get to experience that. But how does that relate? Well, it's really hard um, for me anyway, sometimes to get motivated to do things that uh, I was in the routine of doing. So, you know, our whole world has shifted, flipped upside down. Uh, This is a new paradigm and it's never going to be the same. And that's difficult. That's a difficult statement to sit with. The world as you know it will never be the same. Um, yeah, just let that sink in for a minute, you know? And so there's, there comes this place where I've had to think about, you know, first of all, I have to accept the new reality because it is what it is. Um, but letting go of the old reality has been harder um, than I anticipated. And part of that letting go is a grieving process. And I'm sure all of you guys have felt uh, grieving in some point in your life when you lost a pet or lost a, um, you know, a friend or a family member or, you know, even a loss of identity. And this is really where my grief comes in is uh, with all this shutdown stuff, you know, I lost a lot of um, what I feel sort of drove my ego drove me and told me, reassured me every day who I was, you know, going to jujitsu, uh, going to campus and doing school there, seeing people, interacting with people, being face to face with clients, all that stuff really informed my ego identity and, and reassured me day to day, just who I was and what I was working towards. And now all that is different. Uh, a lot of it is gone for the time being. So trying to readjust into this new, routine, this new um, identity, like who am I now? Uh, Who am I today Um, being cooped up in this house? Um, And so I'm trying to find the motivation to do things that I used to do, um, like the podcast and do things like, um, you know, do some jujitsu on my own and and make videos and things like that. Trying to get motivated for that while I'm still uh, while I still have one foot sort of in this uh, existential realm, my thoughts uh, to a greater extent are now um, devoted mostly to thinking about, you know, larger than life type things because, you know, th- things are going on right now. And instead, uh, it's leaving less and less mental energy for me to be, you know, thinking about the day to day stuff I have to get done, you know. So I apologize. And that's been on my mind. Um, I didn't know how to say it to you guys, but um, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. I'm going to keep trying to pump these out when I can, Um, but more than anything, I'm glad that I could connect again and uh, get you some good news for your day. So uh, let's get into the podcast. So today is episode 72, and our guest today is Nate Perkins. Um, Nate is a writer, a publisher, a bookseller, an artist. He's, he uh, talks about himself and uh, says he's a self-proclaimed desert rat. Um, and he's a traveler. He's written a number of books. One is a novel that was published in 2018 called Cactus. And the other, uh, published in 2019, um, called The Way Cities Feel to Us Now. And we get in, into those a little bit in the podcast Um But he's really, I had him on the podcast because he's known, um, to me, I I met him through a friend, and uh, he was described to me as a cactus guy. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, cactus and how that can um, facilitate healing and facilitate, you know, further um, understanding of yourself. 
Um, he also has another book that I, I'm pretty sure we get into the podcast again. Um, it's called Wallop, and uh, it's set to be published in 2020. Um, but go check those out. So, Nate Perkins, and um, yeah, buckle in, guys. Welcome to the show. conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, as always, Shane Lamaster, and today we're here with a very special guest, Mr. Nate Perkins. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing, Shane? I'm doing well. Um, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you, and um, uh, yeah, welcome. I'm I'm excited to dig into what we're going to get into. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be on this show. So I was introduced to you by a mutual friend of ours, who I'll remain nameless, um, but he he just told me, you know, you got to get this guy in your podcast. He knows so much about. Um, you know, the conversations that he and I have about uh, altered states of consciousness and plant medicine and um, all sorts of, you know, psychedelics or mind altering or just ways that we can explore consciousness in general. I mean, that's what the podcast is all about. And, uh, yeah. you know, just to dig in, uh, first question is the same for everybody. And that is, what is the title Conversations with the Mind? What does that mean to you? How does it sit with you? And what sort of comes up for you when you hear uh, the phrase conversations with the mind. Yeah, for me, I mean, immediately what comes up is, is the idea of art and the, and the importance that art has in letting us express our mind, having conversations from our mind, and then also connect with other people, meeting on a level that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. Um, I think that's true for all art, but for me, it especially brings up, you know, the importance of literature and, and what that does uh, for us as people who have to interact with each other. Yeah. And I think um, for sure, art and literature, both, I mean, both are art, but both are right. imp important forms of communication too. And, um, you know, when, when we're talking about conversations with the mind, oftentimes we're referring to like collective mind or the mind of others. And so how do we have those conversations through artwork? And I for sure have, have looked at, you know, Alex Gray's paintings or things like that and just felt, um, you know, a deeper message that he's trying to get across to me. Um, and I love that, that you're able to use that form of expression to sort of get your feelings across to the, the greater mind. Yeah, I think, I think that goes both ways too, you know. Um, the artist puts forth their intention with their work, right? But the reality of where that conversation happens is somewhere between the viewer's mind or the reader's mind and the artist's mind, right? It's not, it's not on one side or the other. It's somewhere in between, which is what makes it so fascinating. Mm -hmm. and, but what about the idea that, you know, if you're transmitting this message as an artist or a writer to your audience, um, 
oftentimes you don't get a chance to see the after effects. You don't get to necessarily see that interaction that it has with that person because maybe you're not in the room. Maybe your art is hanging somewhere else. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you hope that you get some sort of reciprocal understanding. Um, maybe fans come up and say, this piece really meant something big to me. Um, but oftentimes the artist is kind of left wondering whether they made an impact or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of the nature of the beast. I think that's how, that's how a lot of things we do are in life are right. Is we <laughs> end up wondering what the impact was and, and uh, whether it was good or bad, you know, and, and then you're right when we're lucky uh, it creates new avenues and new dialogues that we wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Uh, I think immediately of our mutual friend and how I met him. I was working in, I was working in the bookstore where I do, and he came up to buy a book and he pointed at a book on the counter that he had bought a previous day when I wasn't working. And he said, this is a great book. You should check it out. And I said, Oh, you know what? I wrote that book. And, uh, and we became friends and that was an amazing connection that I never would have made otherwise, you know, and I felt very grateful in that moment to, to have written that, to have been able to be part of that experience, that, that, uh, communication between somebody that I might've completely missed otherwise. Yeah. And you're talking about, um, your bookstore at Boulder, right? Right. So I work at the, at the Trident Booksellers and Cafe in Boulder, Mm -hmm. manage the bookstore side of the operation. Nice. I think, yeah. you know, I swear I've probably been in there a dozen times and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, serendipitous that we happen to meet through somebody else instead of, you know, yeah. face. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd like wow. to get, I'd like to get right into talking about <clears throat> why I really wanted to have you on the show, which is, uh, to talk about cactus and to talk mm-hmm. about, um, your books too, but, um, specifically the plant of, you know, what cactus is. And this is an area that I'm, uh, somewhat ignorant to, I feel, but you know, I've had a handful of peyote ceremonies under my belt and some interaction with some of the cactus spirits and traditions that way. Um, but you know, I, I know of, uh, I've heard of, I've never used myself, but you know, um, other uses for cactus medicinally, um, uses for cactus as like sustenance and uh, meals, you know, made out of cactus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. San Pedro is is of an interest of mine too, and I have no experience with it. So, um, I guess maybe we could start with you know how did you get into cactus? How did you get interested in the topic itself? Yeah, so I've I've always loved plants, and I've spent a lot of my life living in the in the four corner states. Right, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time as a desert rat, just out hiking around and looking at desert plants, and just getting really amazed by by the shapes. Um, and the experiences I would have around various species of cactus, right? Just, they've always been amazing to me. Um, what kind of experiences? Uh, well, I just, just the, the sort of experiences that you can have in a natural setting, seeing something of great beauty, right? That, that exists completely independently of you. Um, and just sort of the, the appreciation that that inspires. Um, so, I think that sort of like plays a big role. That sort of regional identity in the West plays a big role for me. And it's and so a cactus is sort of uh, the image of a cactus is something I can sort of sort of latch onto as as part of who I am, right? Because it represents where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that makes up. You know, I wrote. I ended up writing a book called Cactus. 
And that sort of identity of place makes up a big part of that book, but also the idea of San Pedro comes into play quite a bit. Um, I guess I, I can't remember how I first found out about San Pedro or came into it, but I, I first used it uh, in Southern Utah in the desert um, with, a, with some good friends. And we were just out camping. Uh, I had a good friend who was suffering really badly from depression. One of my best friends. Um, this was maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe less. But he said, he always said that like, he was gonna end his own life when he was 30, right? And he, he suffered really badly from that. We went out and we had this really amazing time using San Pedro. A uh, really spiritual time, a time where we really connected with each other, a time where we felt uh, really connected with the, the landscape around us. And I think it changed us. And I know it changed him because he's still here, here with us, right? So I have this sort of indebtedness to the plant and to the experience. I, I really appreciate what it's done for my life and the life of those around me. Yeah, I think that um, there's a Aldous Huxley famously said, what, how did it, about, about, San, about mescaline, I don't know about San Pedro, but about mescaline, you know, some of the compassion and some of the gratitude remain even after the experience is over. One can never quite be the same again. And I felt that that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. And what a nice quote too. Um, yeah. So for some of our listeners who have never heard of San Pedro, uh, as opposed to any other cactus, um, could you go into a little bit as, as far as uh, what it's used for, um, you know, maybe, you know, what sort of dosages or, or um, concoction did you guys take out in the desert? Is that important? Sure. And the, the effects that go into that? Sure. Um, it, it originates in South America, in the deserts of South America, although it, it's often used ornamentally in the United States. Uh, you know, you can find it quite often, or you used to be able to in the Home Depot garden section, you know. Um, I've definitely found it wandering around cities in Arizona, planted ornamentally in front of malls and law offices. And it's this big, this big columnar cactus. It's really beautiful. Um, so it contains, among other alkaloids, it contains uh, mescaline. Um, and the way that we did it is we ordered some of the cactus, some cuttings from the cactus on the internet. We took, uh, I mean, we prepared them by taking out the seed, they're taking out the, the spines and, and removing the skin, removing the core, uh, and sort of boiling it into this, into this sort of, uh, terrible tasting milkshake that we kept in in uh, mason jars in the fridge for a couple days before we were able to get down there. Um, so I think we ended up dosage wise, you know, I can't give you anything too specific, but we ended up doing about uh, a foot's worth of the cutting a piece. Um, and we drank it early in the morning and then spent uh, about 12 hours with it. Um, it, I think the effects, you know, it's, it's something that you sort of have to, there's sort of a price you pay going into it because it makes you feel ill at first, right? Um, which is fine. That's, that's part of the experience and it makes you appreciate it more, in my opinion. Um, 
And we spent a long time just walking through the desert, looking at things, talking to each other, or else just sitting quietly. Um, there's sort of, it's, I think the, the main thing that it does for me is that it sort of removes the, removes the filters that you have in your brain and in your eyes and lets you see everything so much more clearly, um, just even, you know, physically. And then that sort of crosses over into a, into sort of a spiritual or communicative understanding. Um, you know, you don't, everything, I always think when I'm, when I'm using it, that the backgrounds to everything, you know, the horizon line looks like the background in an old Super Nintendo video game, you know, it sort of flattens everything down, but gives you the detail. Um, we spent a lot of time just looking at rocks, actually, and it was amazing, you know. Mm -hmm. What did that taste like? What did the, the brew taste like? Oh, it tastes like a, a gravy made out of soap. <laughs> yeah. Not it's not, not so good. Yeah, but it's yeah. okay, you know. And the more I did it, the more I just had an immediate, my body had an immediate response to it, you know, over the years, where it was really hard for me to get it down because my, mm -hmm. my body didn't want to. So I've taken a little long break now. With but, the idea um, of yeah. marrying again. But um, you mentioned like stronger visuals with that, um, with, you know, San Pedro in particular, than I've experienced with peyote, you know, peyote isn't so much been um, a visual experience. I mean, there's a few little things that I've seen here and there that I think were spirits, but for the most part, it was all internal. It was moving energies and you definitely paid that price too. There's a lot of purging and vomiting and things like that that go into a peyote ceremony, but that's all part of the tradition behind it. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think it is more internal than it is visual. Uh, mm. San Pedro as well, you know. And I think I think you end up projecting that experience outwards, right? And so you still have you still see the spirits in in physical things, or you you know see more detail the world around you but really what's happening is that um you're taking what's happening inside and, and sort of pushing it out onto what you see mm. i don't know it's not super it's not incredibly visual you know but I, I think there is an element of that but i like the this idea that you're bringing up right now about the projection right the projection from yeah. the the inner world to the outer world and vice versa and yeah i think that's an interesting aspect of consciousness and with altered states in particular and how it shows us the many sides to this thing. It shows us different, um, different ways to look at what is this thing that we're in this consciousness that we're all experiencing um, and different medicines show you, you know, different paths to, you know, the same eventual conclusion. Um, yeah. I, I love the variety in the, in the journeys. Right. And I, I think that's why, you know, those medicines can be so valuable to the artist, right? Is they sort of, they sort of just open this tiny little, tiny little crack, tiny little crack, little crack. You can, it's not necessarily that you're seeing anything more than you've ever seen, but you have the understanding that there's more there than you've ever seen, right? Maybe you're seeing a little bit more, but there's this understanding that there's just so much, this entire realm that's unknown to you and experience and life and, and reality right and that and i think being inspired by that on some level can be really beneficial to the artist and 
and allow an artist to sort of understand how to better communicate and interact with their reader or their viewer, whoever. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this thing that, that just popped in my head as you were saying that. And I think, I think um, altered states of consciousness and seeing more of what's actually there all the time um, and coming back from that can be inspiring for lots of people. But then there's, you know, this whole other side where, um, you know, you, you experience that for a little while and it becomes so beautiful, so, um, so appealing that we can lose touch with what's around us every day, you know, our everyday reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's a big question that I've had in my life and my journeying experiences, you know, I'll come back from these monumentally shifting experiences and just be like, okay, now how do I go to work the next day? You know, like literally none of this even matters. And so for you, how do you, uh, how do you ground yourself? How do you land back into this, this everyday uh, consensus reality that we're in having the knowledge that you just, witnessed you know what's really there all the time and that it's still there all around you even though your perception is not attuned to it yeah that's a good question i don't i don't know if i'm really the best at that i i mean what i try to do is i try to try to have those experiences pretty sparingly you know uh avoid the idea that that's the only way i'm going to tune into reality right because the consensus reality is also a reality Right. And it's also an important reality because it's the one in which we predominantly live. Um, and I think, I think maybe using medicines like that, I, th- I think of it as like, I think of it as a nail affixing a board to another board, right? You drive a nail into a piece of wood and by nature that has to create a hole, right? In the, in the reality that existed before, but it's through that hole that the two pieces of wood can be, bonded together right but if you're I always think that you know if I if I go back to it too often if I try to increase the size of that nail right and get more of a connection it doesn't actually work that way it's like driving a railroad spike into a board and really all that does is just split the board and break it and leaves it unattached to anything right there's there's sort of this lostness that happens um and then, you know, sort of feel that you can never be grounded again or something. That's the fear. Um, but I think, you know, using, using, psych, using these medicines in certain, you know, lower threshold doses is a good way to actually, at least in my experience, get me to understand the world around me and the consensus reality even a little bit better than I would have otherwise. I don't know. It's a, yeah, that's a hard question. I don't, I don't yeah. know. So you're talking about, you know, microdosing almost like microdosing cactus. Yeah. Which I've done a little bit. Um, mostly I've just done, you know, threshold do- doses, mm-hmm. but I think either way you can use those experiences to, to create more of a connection with those around you and the world around you rather yeah. than pull you away from that. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with you. You know, my, my relationship with psychedelics has changed so much since I first started as a teenager um, where it was, you know, Absolutely. I wanted to be in that space more than I wanted to be in this reality. And I would, try, right. I would try and do it every day. And now my relationship is that, you know, certainly I have much more respect and 
veneration for these medicines, all of them, synthetic or plant. Um, but, mm-hmm. but it, uh, I don't know. I, the, the frequency is much less. Um, I make sure that I have adequate integration periods afterwards to be able to mm-hmm. fully take advantage of, of the medicine work and like reground myself. And sometimes that takes longer than others. I mean, you said you were, you were on a break too. It's been a while. Yeah. You do. So, I mean, sometimes we need a, we need a longer integration to make the shifts, make the, the understanding and the information, the data uh, useful in our life. Right. I mean, that, that's like perfectly reflects that Terrence McKenna quote, right? Like when you get the message, hang up the phone, <laughs> right? That the psychedelics are, are, are an instrument, you know, like a telephone, right? Or like a microscope, he says, you know, a biologist doesn't spend all of his time looking in the microscope. He sees what he sees in the microscope and then goes out and works on it, right? <laughs> so I think that's, that's really important to remember. Yeah. And or, I, did I say Terrence McKenna? That's Alan Watts. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, yeah, I probably misquote people all the time on this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was listening to um, one of my good friends speaking the other day, and he said something that, that really was profound to me. And um, he said he was talking to one of his gurus in India one time, and um, he said, his, I mean, his guru was, was dying, and um, he, was, he was like crying and grieving the, the loss of the life. And uh, they asked him why his disciples asked him why. And he said, you know, this is probably the most beautiful illusion I've ever been in. And it, it just yeah. remind, it re- reminded me that this everyday life is the trippiest shit that we're ever going to experience anyway. And, um, you know, the psychedelics and the medicines, they, they show us a little bit more of it, but, um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're here in this incarnation, in this body, in this type of, consciousness every day for a reason you know we're here to experience yeah, this beautiful sense. thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that makes a ton of sense yeah um yeah and i think i think you know forgetting that or avoiding that with the use of psychedelics or medicine is is a problem i don't think i don't think that's what they're for mm-hmm. not for me yeah uh, that's good. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you this. This is actually a, a question from my wife because she's been to a couple of peyote ceremonies with me and she and I have had long talks on the drive home from these, um, you know, these beautiful places, these beautiful vistas in Colorado. And uh, sometimes we talk about, you know, whether the tradition that we just experienced, uh, and usually it's through the, through the Native American church, um, and it's a teepee ceremony, and we, we ask, you know, I wonder how close that is to the real thing, to the real tradition that was around thousands of years ago, um, and we ask, you know, has the U.S. and our culture sort of appropriated um, some of the tradition and left out some of the other traditions, and, you know, we're doing either a disservice to the to the thing, or um, is this just how it spreads naturally, and this is how it evolves? That's a great question. I mean, I think I think both of those things are certainly true on some level, right? I mean, I'm uh, so I can't speak to to any traditions using this, right? I'm not I'm not a part of those cultures. I'm completely outside of that. I I can't even begin to to talk about that experience or that tradition. But I think that what you're saying makes absolute sense. I mean, I think there's so much that as that Western culture has appropriated and used. Um, and, you know, 
probably messed up plenty, right? Um, but I think that, you know, for better or for worse, that's the position we're in and what we have the responsibility to do is to be as thoughtful and, and as respectful as possible. Um, but I think that also, you know, this, this is where we are and this is how, how these experiences with these plants have evolved. I don't know. I can't say. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I mean, so you're not connected to any particular tradition, but you've had these profound experiences still, um, I would say, you know, mystical in nature. Um, sure. Use that term. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, how does your own framework, how has that informed your experience? Uh, like I said, I've seen a couple little spirits here and there. Have you seen uh, or been shown um, deeper aspects of what consciousness is and not just, you know, the reality that you were looking at the rocks and the plants and things, but mm -hmm. the deeper mm -hmm. levels. Uh, what are some of those messages that you've received from your context? I mean, I'll, right. Um, I definitely try to work uh, in those contexts pretty often, even, you know, whether it's through meditation or um, I read a lot about chaos magic and, and the ways to achieve gnosis that way. Um, and I think I've definitely had experiences, both spiritual and physical, um, but I don't know how to say anything concrete about them, except that for me, they all come back to the idea of kindness and respect, right? That, they, that that's, that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. that we're all in this here together. We have to have kindness and respect for each other. So that's what, that's always what I end up with. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about any other greater reality. It just always it points to a simpler reality to me. I, I would agree with you on that. And that's what I was sort of referring to earlier, that all these different medicines show us different pathways, but we always boil it down to, and for me, uh, the word comes to mind, is just love. Like we're all in this mm -hmm. together. And that's what I feel in those peak experiences is just this, um, overwhelming sense of oneness with everything and like I love everything you know because it's me right yeah it's incredible right, right. Yeah. yeah it is incredible that doesn't keep you from you know going to work and getting pissed off at your coworker or a customer or something like that you know just the way you might do something yourself that would make you mad you know yeah. but it sort of gives you some perspective and some framework with which to deal with those those emotions and interactions um so I'm super interested in what you mentioned uh, about chaos magic, and I want to jump into that in just one second. But before we sure. leave the topic of, um, of uh, plant medicines and cactus, I want to talk a little bit about your book too, Cactus. And uh, sure. yeah. you know, maybe you can tell us how it came to be and, and let the readers know what it's about. And um, Sure. Um, so Cactus is is a short novel that came out in 2018 uh, through the press that I run, Trident Press. Um, it was my first book. Um, the idea, the story is that this character, Will Stevens, is living in Colorado Springs, uh, has a lot of student debt and got a job as a correctional officer to sort of, as a last ditch effort to try to manage that, sort of survive. Um, and while he's working as this correctional officer, he realizes that one of the inmates in his charge is the lead singer of his favorite punk band when he was a kid. Uh, so he sort of has to come to terms with 
with these identities, these conflicting identities and who he really is and what's important to him. Um, and so that happens both externally in the world around him, but there's also, uh, you know, he uses, he uses mescaline, uh, which sort of gives some insight. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, so it all takes place in Southern Colorado. Um, and other, other species of cactus come into play too. Uh, Right. So yeah, it sounds like it's a book about his relationship to the cactus and, and uh, you know, that intimacy that the cactus shared with him too, help change and change his life and help him make these decisions about his identity. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's definitely a book about identity and solitude and intimacy and uh, what those different states mean. Yeah. So, so important. Yeah. And those are things that we all share as humans too. You know, I think that, um, that journey to figure out who we are in the identity of, you know, not just who we are in, in our lives, but society and larger and, you know, in the universe, even what is our role. Mm -hmm. and, and that search has been with us since the beginning. Such an important thing to write about. Yeah. I I'm, I'm happy with it. I've been happy with it. Um, and, and some of those ideas come, come back into play in my, in my second book and certain stories in my second book which is called the, w the way cities feel to us now, which is also about, about identity of place in the West um, and sort of how, how that's shaped by the people and the landscape around us. So let's get into that one a little bit too, because I grew up in the four corner States myself. I was born in Arizona. Uh, I lived cool. in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a few years. Oh yeah. Lived in Colorado for the rest of my life. So um, yeah. I'd really like to know, you know, from what you've observed, uh, and I'm sure this book, just like, a, you know, most writings from most authors come from a piece of their own life. Uh, this book sure. is probably informed by your observations. What have you seen as, as far as this shift in Western culture and how we conceptualize it out here? Yeah, I mean, I, man. Um, so I, I grew up in Utah, mostly, and then I've uh, spent a lot of time I've lived in New Mexico. I've lived in Colorado for a number of years. Um, I've spent a lot of time traveling in Arizona, Northern Mexico, uh, West Texas, Southern California. Um, and I think, I think what amazes me most is the beauty that I find in a landscape that's so brutal, you know? Uh, Ed Abbey said that there's everything in the de desert either bites or stings or or pokes you right um and that's true you know but uh but it's it's these spaces that we move through that shape us as people right that shape our communities shape our societies um and I feel you know I in my core feel like a like a westerner you know like a desert rat and uh, and so I've tried to sort of reflect on those identities and 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 sort of the people and places that uh, I've moved through and have moved through me as I've as I've been in this part of the world. Yeah, what have you seen? What's changed for you? Seen all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, I've spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time traveling in a van, being broke, asking for gas from people at gas stations. Spent a lot of time walking around in the desert, seeing wild animals and plants. Spent a lot of time 
you know, within these sort of um, social paradigms that exist in a very Western way, like, like, you know, the Mormon religion, uh, like, um, you know, cowboy culture, but then also seeing the way that, that this place influences the culture that comes into it. Right. So a lot of my book is about, is about punk, both music and culturally and, and about the way that, uh, that sort of has to exist within the West in this place where we are. Mm. So it sounds like you I don't know if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Um, yeah. It draws me in because uh, I have, you know, that was my first introduction to music was punk um, in middle school. And it sounds like you have a, um, that's a, that's a theme so far through Cactus and this book too is, is the punk movement and specifically the punk movement here in the West. And that's a totally different scene than the punk movement on the East or the West coast. Right. I think, I think what's so interesting about punk and what's so interesting about the Western United States is that there's this long history of this culture of doing it yourself, right? You, you put out records yourself, you book shows yourself, you know, within your community, your community works together to make these, these things happen. You're not depending on resources from someone else because those resources don't exist what you've got is what you've got and you make it happen. And that's also the history of the West. You know, this is a very harsh place to live traditionally. Um, and the people here are tough and they've been able to do that. And so I think those two ideas, sort of that regionalism and that uh, cultural movement interact really well out here. I'm really interested in mm -hmm. sort of that, that Venn diagram, right? That, that middle part where they intersect and they, share those values you know and it's interesting because you don't think of that you think of the west as like a, a very conservative place right or uh, a very you know traditionally religious place <coughs> excuse me but really the culture out here in these states in this part of the world and the culture that i see is or the the aspects that i see of being the most important and interesting about punk really intersect and play together really Mm -hmm. which is amazing yeah you know i never thought of it that way with the intersecting values but yeah the west is very rugged and resourceful and barren and um you know one of my favorite movies when i was a kid was uh, slc punk oh uh, hell yeah. yeah yeah and i loved how it really it showed that juxtaposition between strict religious um upbringing in salt lake city and then the punk scene mm -hmm. that was also there that was totally um anti you know organization at all and uh yeah. in this one character all these different intersections happened uh, it, it reminds me exactly of what you're describing yeah i think i think i think those things are more related than either of them would like to admit you know <laughs> yeah probably yeah. Yeah. that's interesting um okay so i want to talk about uh chaos magic and this is a topic that we have not we've never brought this up on the podcast uh probably because i just don't know much about it at all um sure and um the only introduction i've had to the topic at all is through one of my favorite comedians podcasts uh duncan trussell and um i'm not familiar with it what 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 does duncan uh, trussell say about uh well he just talks about um one of the leading figures being um and i forget his name um I think it starts with an A. 
if it if it comes to you. Austin Osman Spare? No, wasn't him. But no. but see, I don't I don't know anything about Chaos Magic. Yeah. Um, but he just, yeah. he just brings it up on his podcast sometimes. So uh, you said you okay. read into that for a little bit. Yeah, so I've spent maybe the past year. My my friend Jake and I have been doing a lot of reading about it. Uh, just sort of interested in in the idea, right? So I let me couch this by saying that I'm still pretty new to this too, right? Mm-hmm. I am by no means an expert. Um, but as I understand it uh, and practice it, it's that the the whole idea is sort of that you let you take these steps to make sure that uh, what's happening consciously is affecting your subconscious and vice versa, right? You, you're really trying to make a bridge between the two in order to achieve desired results, either personally or within the world around you, right? And and like you were saying, there are many paths to do that. That that's also something that's embraced in this idea of chaos magic is that you can you can sort of use whatever tools necessary, whatever sort of spiritual tools necessary in order to achieve these results for yourself, right? To get yourself to think in a certain way or be motivated in a certain way in order to achieve these results. So maybe, you know, you dive full into Zen Buddhism for a while. And then when you decide that that doesn't work for you anymore, you, uh, you know, become a Mormon for a little while to achieve some sort of goal. And then when that doesn't work for you, you figure out your own thing, you know, and it's, it's all about sort of creating these states of consciousness in which um, you can sort of set the conditions for yourself to, uh, to meet the goals that you're setting for yourself. I mean, that's, that's sort of, I don't know if I can explain it much better than that because I am new to it, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's really, really interesting to me. And, uh, and it seems to be very effective. I don't know. So it seems I would recommend, like... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I, I would recommend, uh, reading, uh, Condensed Chaos by Phil Hine for an introduction to that to any listeners who are interested. And then Trident Press, the press that I run, just put out a collection of, it's sort of a pocket collection of the works of this uh, sort of turn early 20th century, I guess, turn of the century, early 20th century magician and occultist named Austin Osmond Spare. He was sort of a, they call him the grandfather of chaos magic he was also a sort of a uh he worked in symbolism and and sort of like proto-surrealism as a as a visual artist as well really interesting has some really interesting ideas about about different states of consciousness and how to achieve them um it sounds like chaos magic really embraces um individuality in you know in each practitioner's journey and also is open to uh, incorporating any sort of religious faith or path that is chosen as well, you know, but beyond religion, you know, someone can choose the path of, you know, um, being a, a gardener and that's going to be yeah. their path. Right. And so. Totally. And, and you can switch paths whenever yeah. you need to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea is, what, is it, what do they say? There's nothing is real. Everything is permitted. Right. And that doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities toward each other and treating each other well, right? But, but when you realize that nothing is real and everything is permitted, then you can sort of move through that space however works best for you. 
Mm. So this, yeah, this tradition, uh, is that what you would call it? A tradition, chaos magic tradition? Yeah, I guess so. It's just sort of a, a branch of occultism. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a tradition. It almost, I mean, it feels almost like it's uh, at a at a level even higher than, you know, standard organized traditional religions in that, it you know, it's all inclusive. It doesn't cut anybody out. Um, you know, I almost think of like Buddhism being up uh, on that level too. Like you can be a Buddhist and a Mormon or a Buddhist and a Christian or right. a Buddhist and practice chaos magic. Um, and it's right, all right. absolutely. Yeah, I think I think by you know by its very nature it sort of uh, rejects any organization. It sort of by its nature it doesn't allow anybody to become a leader of anybody else, right? It's all it's all about a personal journey. So then, is that where the chaos piece comes in? Like it's it's just up to whoever um, decides to practice, um, and that's the chaotic part, or is it in, about? As I understand it, it also it also sort of relies on sort of the chaotic nature of the universe and the way consciousness and matter move through the universe in in these chaotic non-patterned ways and sort of being able to sort of accept that um, in in your belief or practice so similar to uh chaos theory you know that there's yeah very very similar yeah yeah, so the, the entire universe is this chaos of swirling particles and atoms uh, going any number of infinite ways, maybe even in a holographic way. Um, mm -hmm. But underlying all of that is uh, in you know, bigger patterns, this organization in the chaos, amidst the chaos. Um, I think, I don't know, is that part of, part of this theory as well, that there's some sort of... Right, yeah. Totally. So like if we, if we consider the universe to be something totally chaotic, and then we also consider ourselves to be a part of the universe, right? Then we also have that chaotic nature, right? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, to some degree. And the idea is to sort of be able to access that and recognize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, harness the bigger pattern, see the bigger picture. Um, and yeah. 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 That's, you know, that's, it's so similar to, you know, I, I mostly have like a Buddhist background and, um, mm -hmm. and uh, it mirrors it so closely. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I, you just blew my mind. I had no idea that chaos magic was, was about this. Um, I was thinking it was more about, you know, strongly ritual based, um, you know, certain ceremonial aspects. Um, it certainly can be, you know, yeah. whatever the tools are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had no idea though. That's really cool, and uh, it's right on, right on the same lines as um, punk too. You know. Like, yeah, there's a there's a significant crossover. Um, you know, the band Psychic TV, uh, Genesis Peorich, who started Psychic TV, who started the band Throbbing Gristle, uh, which was the first industrial band ever. You know. Uh, is was and is a practitioner of chaos magic. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of that sort of uh, individuality, that sort of like cooperation with things outside of you, with the resources you have. I think crosses over mm. in a big way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when people hear um, chaos magic, it probably like this the term. It probably gets lumped in most people's minds in in like. Uh, you know, paganism and witchcraft and, 
uh, you know, all these other things like that. And um, it can include those, like you said, yeah. but, it, but it's yeah. not, but it's not uh, organized in it around any one particular thing. That's really, that's really interesting. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely would. Yeah, re recommend reading books by Peter Carroll and Phil Heim for more information on that. Okay, um, so I, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about uh, Trident Press. I like I told you before the podcast, I've, I have a, a, a number of your you know public you know different publications on my bookshelf behind me. Um, cool, man. But uh, yeah, I'd be really interested to know you know like how it got started and how you got started sure. on this and. Sure. Yeah. So, so the Trident Booksellers and Cafes, um, you know, it's a, it's a coffee shop and bookstore. It started as a Buddhist bookstore 40 years ago this summer. Um, I started working there in three years, three years ago, exactly. 2017. Um, I have a strong, strong interest in literature, especially uh, small press independent literature is really where, what I'm passionate about. Um, and so I sort of, as I became more involved in, in the bookstore in Trident, I started incorporating some of those passions a little bit more. And my general manager, Peter Jones, came to me and asked if I would be interested in starting and running a small press uh, based out of the bookstore. Something similar to, you know, City Lights out of San Francisco or deep vellum out of uh dallas you know these these sort of iconic independent bookstores that also run small presses and <coughs> excuse me and that had sort of always been a dream of mine uh as sort of a fan of of small press um and suddenly i had the support and resources to do that uh so that started mid 2017 uh in the past two and a half years we've put out 13 books. Our 14th is coming out on March 1st. Um, it's, a, it's a collection of instructions for children's games. They're sort of, I mean, they're poems, but they're instructions for these really strange and bizarre surreal children's games. Uh, it's called America at Play by the poet Matthias Spolina. Hmm. And so we've, we've put out everything from uh, fiction, poetry, memoir, uh, sort of collections of, of anarchist political theory, collections of occultist writings, sort of cover a wide breadth, but all, you know, the idea, the idea originally was to make these small pocket sized books so that you could fit them in your back pocket and secretly read at work when you were supposed to be doing something else. <laughs> that's what I, that's who I want to make books for people who are bored at work, you know, and want to be able to carry around a small book that they can access whenever they need to nice did you ever think that you would be in charge of uh what you are now this small press uh, no i mean it had always been a dream and i'd always had lots of friends that ran you know uh small record labels and things like that and so i, I you know again coming back to this punk ethos of like doing it yourself right not not relying on some big publisher or some agent or some something like that but taking the art that is, is so important within your community and uh, creating, a, creating an avenue for it to come into the world has always been something that's really interesting to me. So I'd always thought about it and fantasized about it, but I never thought it would happen quite like this. I've been very fortunate, very grateful for that. 
Yeah, and the press itself is, you know, its own form of creation. And it's almost like a different art form for you where you get to like pour your creative energy and your, you know, what you're what you're attuned to into, you know, this greater thing that is then going out and communicating with more and more people on so many different levels. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. I mean, I've learned just an insane amount about all of it, about writing and editing and design and distribution and and promotion and media engagement and you know just all these millions and millions of things that i would have never learned had i not been put in this position that was you know difficult not i mean fun but also you know new and outside of my comfort zone um and it's been a really amazing experience i'm really happy about it yeah what are your i mean what are your dreams for that uh project of yours I don't know, right now, um, right now there's some really interesting and cool books coming down the line. Um, I'm sort of focusing a lot on, on those and just sort of the day-to-day work that needs to happen to put those into the world. I think ultimately the goal is to, to uh, make sure that, that these writers that I care so much about, whose work I care so much about, gets get some sort of recognition or if not recognition then you know respect and appreciation i want people to be able to enjoy it the way that it's that i've enjoyed it i want it to be able to affect people the way it's affected me so as long as i can keep doing that i'm happy yeah i mean is that your longer like 10-year goal too is to to be doing exactly what what you want to be doing and pumping out the stuff that you want to be doing in 10 years hopefully yeah i mean like my my real goals are just to keep writing and and uh and making these connections and just you know just keep making it happen nice and you said and you were just, go ahead oh and that just means just sitting down and going to work you know yeah so as long as long as i keep enjoying it i'll keep doing it and you said that you're working on another book right now called wallop um and wallop yeah, yeah. Can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about that one? Because that one's coming out this year, sure. right? Yeah, it's coming out, uh, I think October is when it's coming out. And that's coming out on a small press based out of Florida called House of Vlad. Um, Wallop is a short novel. Uh, it's, sort of, it's sort of this road trip novel. Uh, it's about this gardener and landscape worker who uh, gets his girlfriend pregnant but already has this hitchhiking trip planned with his friend and sort of balancing these two things. So it's about this person hitchhiking uh, out of Colorado, across Kansas and into Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, sort of the realizations that come uh, from the people around him and from the time spent, you know, on the road, much, much like, you know, sort of some of the greater themes in my, in my last work. But uh, the idea is to sort of balance the the funny and the tragic, you know, sort of the heartbreak and the, and the humor of the ways that we move through life. So I think I'm really happy with it and I'm really happy with the publisher so far. They're doing a great job. I'm really excited to keep working with them. Nice. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in the show that you, at one point in your life, you went on a, you know, a road trip in a van and uh, that's always something that I envied that I always wished that I had done in my life and I still might do it sometime, but just to, yeah, it's not too late. Yeah. yeah, 
to just put everything yeah. in, in something like that and go, you know, across the country, go to South America, go up to Alaska, it would just be so phenomenal. And uh, I was wondering if you could, you know, share some of your experience with me and with the listeners out there. Um, that just sounds amazing. Sure. It sounds so free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tra- travel for me is, is the most consciousness expanding experience that we can have. Right. Uh, it totally shatters what you think you know about what the world is, makes you see it from another perspective. Um, I try to set my life up in a way in which I can travel as much as possible. Uh, for a long time, that meant never having jobs for very long or living in one place for very long, you know, because I was always searching for the next, the next big trip. Um, so I spent a lot of time traveling. I've traveled in South America and Central America, all over the U.S., up to Alaska and uh, Europe, you know. And the things that I've learned the most from doing that are just that people are people wherever you go, you know, good people, bad people, people have a different way of looking at, at things than you do. Um, and it's definitely changed my life and it's something that I want to continue for as long as I can. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. I've never had any money. Um, so it's always been a balance of like, okay, being somewhere steady and being able to work and save up and then take off for as long as possible. And so that's what a lot of uh, doing the van thing was, you know, it's a good way to, to do it on the cheap. I always had a roof over my head. Um, as long as I could get to the next place or enjoy the place I was in, then I was always fine. So I've, yeah, so I try to set myself up to be as free to do that as possible. And right now I'm really lucky because I've tried to, um, that's sort of a shared value among a lot of us that that work there. A lot of us are travelers. And so we're sort of willing to, to cover for each other when it's somebody's time to go, go hit the road for a while, knowing that they'll do the same for us when it's our turn. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of, you know, hero's journey, um, that we all go through, but literally, you know, that's what you're, that's what you're doing, expanding your mind. So when you yeah. travel from like place to place, you know, when the band say, you know, on that trip, would you like stop somewhere for a couple of weeks and get a local job to save up more money to go, further or like how would you how would you move around so I spent so when I started um I had some money saved up uh I would go and just move on when I felt like it and the ultimate goal was that I was going to end up in southern Colorado in a few months um so I did I went I went to southern Colorado and and worked and lived at a wolf refuge outside of the town of Westcliff stayed there for a year uh and so that sort of was like this long extended experience. And then I went back to Salt Lake for a little bit, uh, worked for as long as I could stand and then uh, drove up north, you know, ended up in, in uh, Oregon and Washington and Idaho and Montana. Um, and so there were some periods in there of a little bit more stability, but it, it was sort of, while I was on the road, I would do some work maybe, you know, do some freelance writing at a coffee shop to make a few extra bucks. Spent a lot of time eating out of dumpsters, spent a lot of time asking people to help me out with gas. And that gets pretty exhausting, you know? Um, but that was the way I was doing it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you made it all the way up to uh, Alaska in the van or was the van just the U S 
Van, yeah, Van was just in the in the continental U.S. Okay, right. Didn't so Alaska was an, was another time. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, been all over the place. Uh, where's a place that you haven't been that you really want to go? Um, you know what? I have never been to Peru. I would love to. I've never been to northern South America, right? So I've never been to Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, Venezuela. I would really like to get there. So where have you been in South America, like Chile and all the ones? Uh, I I was in Uruguay for two years and then uh, spent some time in Brazil. Nice. Yeah. And those were all trips. And then I've been all through Central America. Oh, nice. What was that? Sorry. Oh, Brazil's on my, um, it's on my bucket list because I've been a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner for 13 years now. So I I need to go back to to where it originated and Japan too because it first started there, but yeah yeah amazing yeah yeah i've never been to asia at all but that's really high on my list too but i feel like um i mean i speak spanish i love latin america so there's some big holes in my latin american experience that i want to fill for sure yeah me too uh my wife and i went to thailand for our honeymoon a couple years ago and um, i'd been once before but asia is I don't know. It feels like home to me over there because of my, yeah. yeah, my Buddhist background. And, you know, you walk around and see Buddha statues everywhere and everyone's treating everyone so nice. And, um, yeah, I just like, this is, this is where I need to be. And then I come back to the U S and I'm like, Oh man, look at all the smog everywhere. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's real. Back it's to real. The grind. Yeah. It's kind of happen. It's just part of it. Part yeah. of the Part of the whole trip. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just have one more question for you and that's, you know, with all your travels and all your, your, I mean, when you read books, I mean, you're, you're literally soaking in just more of these like streams of, of consciousness, you know, coming into you with all that stuff, all that data that you've accumulated, what could be, um, you know, what could be your message to, to the listeners out there as far as, you know, advice for life or, or, um, you know, what's been in really important to you and what sort of, what's, what's the big insight that you think, um, you know, contributes to everybody. The, I mean, I said, like I said a little bit earlier in the show, uh, you know, to me, it just comes back to kindness and respect. You don't always have to be nice, but you do always have to be kind. And you always have to have respect for people. And uh, I don't know if I know much more than that. And I'm still trying to work on those things. But as, as I see it, that's, that's the most important thing we've got. Yeah, I think if you could only be kind and respectful to others, then life is going to turn out pretty good for you. Yeah, I mean, hope so. You know, or at least you'll, at least you'll know how to, how to go through it when it's not going so great. Yeah, and kindness and respect for yourself, too. I think that's huge. Yeah. Search there. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, Nate, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, man. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. And uh, I hope to make my way back down to Boulder, and I'll stop in the bookstore and see if you're there. And um, then Yeah, say what's up, for sure. Yeah, we can meet in person. Um, yeah, hell yeah. I like that. Well, for all you listeners out there, make sure you go check out uh, his books that we mentioned here on the podcast. I'll put those uh, on the description as well. Go check out Trident Press. And um, until next time.
this has been Conversations with the Mind. We'll see you next time. As we take a quick break from Conversations with the Mind, I just want to let you know that this award-winning episode of the podcast is brought to you by MindOps. So go check out the MindOps website, M-I-N-D-O-P-S. Now back to the show. Wow, what a great show. Thank you, Nate, for being on. Uh, really appreciate it. Folks, if you, again, if you or your family or anyone you know um, needs um mental health during this time, during this pandemic, please reach out to mindops.com, M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com for reduced rates on on therapy sessions or just counseling or coaching or whatever you need uh, to help keep your mind healthy through this time. Um, Thanks for listening and uh, come on back as soon as we post another one. Peace, folks.
Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored, as always, by MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen OPS.com. Come check us out. We're an eclectic counseling company providing both mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, and military individuals through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement through mental training, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We're available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. Thank you for listening to the show, and please go check us out, mindops.com and the MindOps YouTube page.